This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 8th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama's speech in Egypt relied heavily on the words and principles of the founding of the United States, that the U.S. should advance human rights and the cause of liberty by its example, not by military force. Cato Institute Director of Foreign Policy Studies Christopher Preble says the speech hit some essential points without overpromising. As a number of people have pointed out, is a misnomer to speak of the Muslim world as though it were a monolith. Um, it is not. Uh, most Muslims do not live in the Middle East. Even uh, there are, you know, the largest Muslim country is Indonesia, of course, and and so you know there is, uh, you know, there was a, a problem even in the way that was framed. However, having said that. Uh, it is true. The president was speaking to an audience in Cairo, which was covered live by all of the major Arabic language stations and most of the major news organizations all around the world. Listened to live. The White House had arranged to have the text sent to people's personal devices in all manner of languages. I mean, clearly the White House wanted this to be a, a you know communicating with the whole world about our relationship with um, with the region, with people who who, who practice Islam, who, even recognizing, as the speech did, the many nuances and differences within that uh, within that religion. There was a tempering, it seemed, of U.S. relationship with Israel. Perhaps I, I anticipated that. Ahead of the speech, there has been a considerable focus within the last few weeks on the settlement issue, an issue that the Bush administration uh, avoided or minimized. Uh, President Obama, Secretary of State Clinton, and others have emphasized the importance of the settlements, have pointed out the settlements are an impediment to moving forward with negotiations. The Palestinian Authority's position is quite clear. And, and so it did not surprise me that he raised the issue in the speech yesterday. Apparently, it did surprise some, of, some people who were not paying attention to this internal debate here in the United States and the kind of clarifying U.S. policy. And so I think it was interesting how much importance was assigned to that one statement. But equally important, it seems to me, was his statement about the importance, you know, candidly and forthrightly explaining why the United States and Israel have enjoyed a strong relationship for a long time and confronting directly, you know, the Holocaust denial and the virulent anti-Semitism that you hear spewed, uh, you know, in the various media. Uh, all of that was for the good. And and I think it was a, it was a, a nice balance between um, uh, trying to to create a new or, or a perception of a new middle ground for the United States and and ultimate but ultimately at the end of the day admitting that the United States cannot make peace between Israelis and Palestinians that to me was the most important point of all he clearly wants the United States to play a role but the president has admitted and he admitted publicly that we cannot make that happen. And I think as, as much as we focus on the high rhetoric of the speech, some people have criticized it for not being specific enough, I think one of the most important things is to set expectations and to reset people's uh, views of how the United States is, is conducting this fight against Al-Qaeda, the, the kind of support we need from others uh, in, in prosecuting this fight, and, and not laying out very specific uh, expectations 
expectations that we can't possibly meet. You also found some similarity between what uh, President Obama said in that speech and the founder's message of a United States that leads by example rather than through entangling alliances. Right. I mean, I think one of the great uh, tragedies in recent years is the perception around the world that the United States uh, communicates its influence or wishes to do so by force. That was not our pattern. That was not what the founders intended. And they set out very explicitly to constrain the use of force. They, they feared the, the propensity of uh, militaries and war to grow the state. They were very clear on this point. And I think the president made a very clear connection to this earlier generation, this generation who wanted the United States to lead by example, who cared deeply about human rights and about liberty, but cared just as deeply that those not be promoted by force, that we not be seen as a country that did that by force. And in fairness, I mean, there was a very explicit attempt, uh, you know, several years ago during the 1990s to reject that vision explicitly, to say to lead by example is the equivalent of cowardice, which I thought was shocking and reprehensible, but it was out there. And there was a time when people believed that to be the case, that the United States was not so confident in our ideals that we felt the only way they could be spread around the world is by force. That isn't the case. It wasn't the case. It shouldn't be the case going forward. And I think the president made a very conscious decision to connect his policies, the policies of the United States, to our traditions. Traditions, frankly, that are not well known to some Americans, but are especially not well known to the audience that he was communicating to yesterday, many of whom will have never heard this or who believe that the United States, it, 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 their understanding or knowledge of our foreign policy has been shaped by the last eight years. Chris Preble is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Preble's new book, The Power Problem, is available at Cato.org.